Good morning. This is Advice from the Ivory Tower. I'm Amanda Walters. Eight weeks ago, I joined Virginia Tech's Educational Psychology Department as a PhD student. I'm currently taking four classes, Quantitative Statistics, Sociocultural Learning and Instruction, Learning and Cognition, and College Teaching. In addition to taking a full course load, I'm also working as a graduate teaching assistant. This involves helping teach math curriculum and instruction to 28 wonderful pre-service elementary education teachers. I began teaching in 2013. I taught middle school social studies and civics for five years. During that time, I received an MAT from Hollins University and a license in administration and leadership from Longwood University. I then served as an instructional coach at the middle school level. I bring my experiences in the urban education classroom and my experiences from working with building level administration to my studies at Virginia Tech. I am excited to bring you some of the information I have been studying through my coursework. Frequently, researchers at universities conduct research to help solve problems they see in a system. For educational psychology, this means investigating best practices and the functional processes for learning, learner readiness and development, building knowledge and subject matter expertise, the learning environment, classroom management, instructional practices, motivation, assessment, technology, and many other education-related concepts. Educational psychologists publish their research in academic journals, which begins a discussion among researchers. Publishing papers is considered adding to the conversation. However, these journals are frequently behind paywalls or are simply too long, too cerebral, or too impractical for teacher practitioners to read and implement efficiently in their classrooms. We all know that as teachers, you want to do what is best for your students, but teachers can't implement strategies, pedagogies, and ideas they don't know exist. This is where a major breakdown in education advancement exists, in my opinion, and I want to do my part to help bridge this gap. So many of you have expressed interest in what I'm learning. So I thought, if I'm already reading the research, why don't I just share what I'm learning so you can benefit from my experience? Wouldn't it be cool if I brought to you the most salient, interesting, promising, and controversial topics from my coursework, broke it down into digestible segments, shared it with you, and gave you resources for if you're interested in learning more? It would practically solve the issue of excluding teacher practitioners from the conversation, and it would give you real, current information on what research is being done in the educational realm. So where better to start than the beginning? My first set of readings for my quantitative statistics class were extremely timely, relevant, and interesting for someone beginning a new endeavor or generally pushing through this new abnormal. The readings addressed imposter phenomenon. You may know of this by its more common name, imposter syndrome. Imposter phenomenon is a form of intellectual self-doubt or a dysphoria generated when a particular success feels undeserved. Someone struggling with the imposter phenomenon may explain their success not through talent or ability, but rather luck and circumstance. As you may have already predicted, imposter phenomenon disproportionately impacts minorities, people in the LBGTQ community, women, and other historically marginalized groups. People may feel this way because they have a history of perfectionism, tying achievement to self-worth, 
or comparing their own achievement to that of others. Something that struck me about the imposter phenomenon was how many people suffer from imposter phenomenon in isolation, afraid to speak to others about their feelings of inadequacy. This is a defensive mechanism for people suffering from imposter phenomenon because they fear being found out or outed for being inadequate. But suffering alone in silence, in my opinion, is never a solution. So what can be done to combat imposter phenomenon? Kristen Weir, author of Feel Like a Fraud, suggests the following steps to handle imposter phenomenon. Talk to your mentors, recognize your expertise, remember what you do well, realize no one is perfect, change your thinking, and talk to someone who can help. To me, this sounds like a great opportunity to build a community around you of other like-minded teachers. Share your experience. Journal your success. Don't isolate yourself. Remember, you are a part of a community and you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of your incredible students. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this recommendation to change your thinking. It seems easier said than done. Fortunately for us, Martin Schwartz of the Department of Microbiology at UVA shared his advice on the benefits of changing his mindset in the 2008 article, The Importance of Stupidity in Scientific Research. He relates his own feelings as an imposter during his time as a PhD student. He speaks to the struggle he had when he approached his mentor with a research question and the mentor didn't have the answer. To him, this was an aha moment where he realized nobody had the answer. He said in his article, quote, If our ignorance is infinite, the only possible course of action is to muddle through the best we can. End quote. To me, this speaks volumes. Learning is hard. Failure is inevitable. But Schwartz demands that we reframe our thinking to be productively stupid. In other words, move forward in our learning with the expectation that we will be wrong before we come to the right answer. We are part of a culture that defines learning as producing the correct answer. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if we can take the frustration, decision fatigue, and failure associated with teaching on a new platform and reframe it to be a positive experience where we expect to be productively stupid? What if we model for our students that education is a process, not an outcome? What if we challenge our students to spend time on their coursework, ask for help when it's needed, and not be afraid to get answers wrong? What if we reframe the role of the teacher from lecturer to content expert? What if we judged a student as being successful if they make an earnest effort to learn the material and not cheat themselves in the process by completing an assignment simply for a grade? How would that change your experience in education? How would it change the lives of the students you touch? I hope you learned something today. If you're interested in learning more about imposter phenomenon or productive stupidity, you can find more information on the articles I read in this episode's description. Thank you for listening, and more importantly, thank you for the work you do. Keep doing your personal best, and I'll see you next time!